In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from Psalm chapter 9. Uh, we finished actually the first 11 verses. So tonight we'll study from verse 12 to the end of the psalm. This psalm is a psalm of victory. Saint David the prophet actually was praising God and giving thanks to him for God giving David victory. Most probably he wrote this psalm after he defeated Goliath. But as you know, after David defeated Goliath, King Saul started to be jealous from David and started to chase him and he wanted to kill him and many made many plans to kill him. So David is reminding himself and also reminding others that God avenges blood. That's why in verse 12 he said, when he, when God avenges blood, he remembers them. He remembers them, those who were persecuted or those who were killed for his name's sake. He does not forget the cry of the humble. So we should know that there is no murder committed that goes unpunished and is fully avenged. As we read in Genesis chapter 9 from verse 5 to 6, Surely for your life blood I will demand a reckoning. So God is saying when there is a blood shed, God will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of a man. So if a man killed his brother, God will require the blood of the person who is killed from the hand of the murderer. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Why? For in the image of God he made man. That's why the church is not against capital punishment. And as you read in uh, Romans chapter 13, St. Paul says that the ruler does not carry the sword in vain, but to avenge from the evildoers. Also in Numbers chapter Book of Numbers, chapter 35, verse 33 and 34. These two verses tell us clearly that the blood of unavenged murders pollutes the earth. So, when there is a person who is killed and God did not avenge his blood, this blood, actually, of the person who is murdered will pollute the earth. And we have different examples. When Cain killed Abel, God said in uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, that the blood of Abel was crying to God. 
as if the blood of Abel is saying to God, avenge me. And the blood of Nabal, Nabal who killed Nabut in order to take his field, was seen by God as you read in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 26. And Elijah said to uh, Elijah said to Ahab, the, the, the person who killed Nabut, he told him that uh, in the place where the dogs licked the blood of Nabut, they will lick also your blood. So God has promised to avenge blood and remember the murdered. When he said he remembers them, he will remember the murdered. In 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 26, God said, surely I saw yesterday the blood of Nabut and the blood of his sons, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now therefore take and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. But many times, like with the Christian who were killed in the name of Christ, like the 21 martyrs of Libya, sometimes it seems that God does not promptly take revenge. And we say, where is God? But don't be surprised. God is patient. And when he does not revenge, immediately this to give the sinner opportunity for repentance and then he said he does not forget the cry of the humble the humble means the meek or those who do not and cannot and will not avenge themselves like the martyrs the martyrs did not avenge themselves so they cry to the Lord. In the book of Revelation, we see the souls of the martyrs under the altar, and they were crying to God, till when you avenge our blood. So God actually will hear the cry of the, of the humble. So these humble commit their cause to God, to whom vengeance belong. As he said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In verse 12, uh, David made actually uh, two requests and gave a name to God. The first request, have mercy on me, O Lord. Second request, consider my trouble from those who hate me. 
And then the name that he gave to God, you who lift me up from the gates of death. So David here remembered how God actually delivered him from gates of death when he stood in front of Goliath. David was just a young boy and Goliath was giant. So David, when he stood in front of Goliath, he was in front of gates of death. But God actually rescued him, delivered him from the gates of death. So David, when he considered and reflected on God's mercies in the past, especially in the recent deliverance from Goliath, this led him to beseech and plead a continuance of his mercy in the future. That's why he told him, have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me, like King Saul. He is not yet free from troubles. There are still enemies, like King Saul after this, Absalom his son. There are still enemies who afflict and threaten him. So David is beseeching God to look upon him with an eye of pity and compassion. Have mercy on me. Help me, deliver me. Look upon my enemies that give me trouble and take vengeance on them. It's a beautiful prayer when we ask God, uh, have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me, you who lift me up from the gates of death. The description of gates of death as if he is standing at the edge or mouth of grave. He is about to fall into the grave. He is very near to death as a man who reached the gates of a city. So David wanted God to rescue him so that he could give God all the praise and also to rejoice in God's salvation. So why he is asking God to rescue him? Not just only to save his soul, but in order to glorify God. That's why he said in verse 14, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. I will rejoice in your salvation. And, and here he made a good contrast. He was standing at the gates of death. But when God actually delivered him from the gates of death, now he is at the gates of daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion is a church where actually he praises God. So you delivered me from the gates of death. The first thing I do, I will go to the gates of Zion that I may tell of all your praise. In the gates of daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in your salvation. Many times we come to the church and cry to God to deliver us from tribulations. And once he delivered us, that's over. But here David is teaching us a lesson. If God delivered you from gates of death, second step to go to the church, the gates of the church, to tell of all his praise and to rejoice in the salvation of God. So David sees his deliverance as a way for God to bring more glory to himself. 
So it's not about my deliverance. It's about how you will be glorified. He did not see his rescue as the final goal. My rescue is not the final goal. The final goal is to give God uh, greater glory. Uh, also, gates of daughter of Zion means the land of the living while I'm still alive. So he told him, once you delivered me from gates of death, you give me life here on earth. Then I want to praise you here on earth. Why? Because the dead cannot praise God. In the Old Testament, all of them were in Hades. As we read, for in death no one remembers you. And who will confess you in hell? So he calls on God therefore to intervene and save him from the gates of death that he might yet worship and praise him in the land of the living. So here David expresses what any man naturally feels when he looks upon the grave, the tomb. It is an end of human plans and pursuits. So he's telling him, deliver me from the gates of death that I may praise you in the land of living. And he concluded this verse by saying, I will rejoice in your salvation. Either temporal salvation like from King Saul, Epsilon, Goliath, so delivering him from any danger, and this definitely will bring joy to David, or David speaks in a prophetic tone about the spiritual salvation. That's why he said, I will rejoice in your salvation. Your salvation that you planned to us through your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross. Gracious man rejoice in this salvation, in the eternal salvation, more than the temporal salvation. Because it is the Lord's salvation. Because it is his own. He rejoices more because of the glory of God. Not about my rescue, but because God will be glorified in this. So, uh, it is not about my own advantage and happiness that you rescued me, but that your name will be glorified. Verse 15, The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made. In the net which they hid, their own food is caught. So he's saying they made plans, but they were caught by their own plans. The nations fell into that destruction which they designed to bring upon others. So even their best plans and efforts to oppose God ended up by serving his purpose. And there are many patterns in the scripture. For example, God revealed to Joseph that he will be a very important figure and his brothers will come and worship him. But bow down to him, not worship, bow down to him. Their brothers, his brothers became jealous and they wanted to stop this plan and they planned to kill him. But ended up selling him to the Egyptians. And what happened? So, Joseph's brothers 
fought against the plan of God. Not realizing, but by fighting against the plan of God, they further it. And by sending him to the Egyptians, he became the second man in the world. And they came actually and bowed to him. Another example, Haman, in the book of Esther, he built a cross for Mordecai. But who died on this cross? Actually, Haman, not Mordecai. Jesus betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. But this betrayal ended up with the salvation of the whole world. So he fulfilled the prophecies. So the greatness of God is demonstrated by the way he can use the plans and efforts of ungodly while bringing righteous judgment upon them. So God, their plan that they made to oppose him and to fight against him, God is using this plan actually to execute his economy. In the same time, he will actually bring righteous judgment on these people. Maybe someone would say, then if their plan ends up by furthering God's economy, then they should not be held accountable. Of course, no. This never justifies the evil that men do. For example, so the betrayer of Judas sent Jesus to the cross to save the world, yet Judas himself was rightly called the son of perdition, son of destruction for the evil work. And God told him, the son of man will go his way no matter what. As if the Lord is saying to him, whether you betray me or not betray me, the economy of salvation would be fulfilled. The second half of verse 15, in the net which they had, their own food is caught. So the allusion here is to spring net made to capture birds or wild beasts. So in the same net, they will be captured. Verse 16, the Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation, Selah. So the first part of this verse, he is saying, when we see the judgment of God, either how he rewards the righteous, or either how he disciplines and punishes the wicked, we will know God. So by executing his judgment, he is known to us. We know attributes about God. So God's character can be learned from his dealing with mankind. How he deals with us makes us understand his character. By studying the dispensation of his providence, we may learn who he is. God makes himself known by what he does in his dealing with men, bestowing blessing upon the righteous and sending punishment upon the ungodly. So when we see how God executes judgment, we will know that God is a fair God and a just God. Then, in the second part of this verse, he says, the wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. 
So the idea here that the wicked are the cause of their own destruction. So they are snared in the work of their own hands. So their own devices and designs are the means of their own ruin, as if they become their own executioners. So the, the plans they make to hurt others turned against themselves. Then after this verse, we find meditation sila. What does this mean, meditation sila? Some suggest it is a note of attention, like pay attention, reflect. The, the psalmist says, the Lord is known by his judgment, by the judgment he executes. So now it's a time of reflection, time to think about the attributes of God, time to think about the character of God. It's time to meditate or to reflect. So it suggests that the matter deserves deep and frequent meditation or consideration. Many people, especially now, there is new wrong theology speaks that God does not punish at all. God only love. There is no punishment. There is no discipline. How can the, the psalmist said here, you need to reflect on this. Think about it. Also, some scholars said meditation followed by the word silah uh, seems to denote a pause of unusual importance and emphasis. So what's written here is very important. Think about it deep. Take five minutes to reflect about it. So we are called upon to ponder and meditate upon it with deep seriousness. Actually, meditation in Arabic is translated darb al-awtar, means playing the strings. So some suggest that the word meditation indicate a direction to the choir to play gentle strain of instrumental music as a pause. And with this soft music, this will help you to think deep and to meditate and to reflect. Also, the word sila is direction to uh, the choir uh, like there is a pause here or they would change the music from one note to another note. Verse 17 The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. While David is approaching the conclusion of the psalm, now he is looking at the conclusion, the end of the wicked. Their end will be their ultimate destruction in hell. And this verse is closely connected with the previous one. The wicked are bringing upon on themselves their own destruction. And they witnessing to the righteous judgment of God. But here he said, who are the wicked? All the nations that forget God. 
Forget God means forget God. Either deny him like the atheist who deny actually the existence of God. Or they forget the infinite majesty and glory of God. They forget his mercy. They forget his law. They forget his presence. Also they forget his justice. Like as I told you, this new theology that says there is no punishment. They are forgetting that God actually can punish and can send people to hell. So this verse can be applied to every wicked man who forgets that there is a God who sees and knows all things and to whom men are accountable. Here he said, and all the nations that forget God. All nations, regardless of their great number and great power, but that this number and power cannot protect them from the wrath of God. Then here he speaks about people or nations that forget God. In verse 18, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. So here a beautiful contrast. While people actually is forgetting God, God does not forget his own people. The needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. So David makes a beautiful contrast here. While the wicked try to forget God, yet the needy and poor, poor in spirit, the ungodly, sorry, the godly, who are oppressed by God's end, are not forgotten. But he said, not always forgotten, not always be forgotten, which means, maybe for a time, for a season, these poor and needy, those who are persecuted, may seem that they are forgotten by God, when God actually allowed their enemies to triumph over them. But even this seeming forgetfulness will come to end when judgment crashes on the oppressor. That's why he said, the needy shall not always be forgotten, shall not always be forgotten. Uh, And he said, the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. So it may perish for some times, but will not perish forever. But what is their expectation? Their expectation is deliverance. The expectation of anyone who is oppressed that God may deliver them. It shall not perish forever. They will not be disappointed forever. Yes, sometimes the evil may prevail, but not forever. There shall be a time when their expectation shall have its accomplishment. God, before his ascension, he promised us that he is going to heaven to prepare a place for us. And he said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. So people may be poor in this world, not only financially, but poor mean persecuted, were considered as minority. But we have the greatest wealth known to man, which is the gift of eternal life. Many people who are very, very wealthy here on earth, actually they are willing to trade all their wealth if they are given the assurance to go to heaven. 
St. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, All what was gained, I consider it loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. That's why he left the life of contentment. I, I, I trained myself to be hungry and to be full, to be abased and to abound. As long as I have Christ, it doesn't matter whether I'm hungry or not, whether I am abased or not, as long as I have Christ. Verse 19, Arise, O Lord. And we say it several times, Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. Arise, O Lord, don't let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. David, in the beginning of this psalm, actually, confessed and admitted his confidence to God. So, David expressed firm confidence in God's judgment that God will will destroy the wicked and he will vindicate the righteous. But this expectation did not allow David to be passive. But instead, he boldly prayed, Arise, O Lord, don't let man prevail. So he did not say, you know, I I trust that God actually will vindicate the righteous. No need to pray. No. He became uh, active and and prayed to God, Arise, O Lord. Arise, Arise, O Lord, to the destruction of your enemies. Arise, O Lord, to the salvation of your people. Stir up yourself. Employ and use your power. Don't let man prevail. Because he spoke here in singular, not in plural, for example, he did not say, don't let men prevail. So many scholars said, man here refers to the Antichrist, the man of sin. Let not the man of sin prevail. Yes, when the Antichrist comes, he will prevail for some time. But let not him prevail all the time. We read in Daniel the prophecy about the man of sin, the Antichrist, in Daniel 7:21. He is like a little horn, and he will prevail against saints, and has prevailed. But he shall not always prevail. So this petition will be heard and answered when he said, "Let do not let man prevail." So though the Antichrist shall cast down many thousand, but he will not be strengthened with by this. Because the Lamb of God at the last shall overcome him and overcome the ten kings who supported him. And he will overcome all who actually shall assist and aid the Antichrist. Then he said, let the nations be judged in your sight. Which nations? The anti-Christian nations who supported the man of sin, who supported the Antichrist. Let them be judged and punished in your sight because you are the judge of all earth. So here David again expressed his confidence in God's judgment for the wicked. But I want here to emphasize that David is not saying this out of hatred for these people or unhealthy joy in judgment 
No. His real hope was that God display his judgment in order to teach the people who they are, regardless of their number, regardless of their power, they are just men, as we read in verse 20. After he said, let the nations be judged in your sight, put them in fear, O Lord. Why? That the nations may know themselves to be but men. Sometimes powerful nations think they they don't need God. They are powerful. But when God actually judges them and put his fear in their heart, they will realize they are men. Pharaoh thought that he he is a competitor to God. But with the ten plagues, he realized he is just men. So, put them in fear. Either by striking a panic terror in them. You know this story in Second Kings chapter 7, verse 6 and 7? When the army of the Syrians surrounded Elisha and his disciple Gehazi. And Gehazi was so scared. And he said to Elisha, My master, see the army of the Syrians is around us. So Elisha told him, don't be afraid. Uh, Those who are with us is more than those who are against us. And he prayed that God may open the eyes of uh, Gehazi. So God opened his eyes and he he looked at the angels, many, many thousands of angels surrounding him. And Gehazi said, yes, indeed, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Then actually, Elisha prayed, and all these people became blind. So he took them into the king of Israel in Samaria. And then he asked God to open their eyes, and God opened their eyes. And they found themselves in the middle of the king of Samaria. In the middle of Samaria. So what they expect now? To be killed. And actually the king of Israel asked Elisha, should I kill them? But Elisha told him, no. Kill those whom actually you take captive by your own sword. But these, I brought them to you. So the king of Israel told him, what should I do? He told him, make a big feast for them. Give them food and drink and let them go in peace. So Elisha actually repaid their evil with good. Don't be overcome with evil, but repay evil with good. So that is how God actually uh, calmly made them review the situation and made the Syrians realize how dangerous it was to assail God's people. The story that I mentioned actually is the story in 2 Kings 6, verse 23. But in 2 Kings 7, 6 and 7, it's another story. When also the, the Syrian 
surrounded uh, Israel, God made them to hear noise. And when they heard this noise, they said that the army of Israel is against us. So they start to run away and escape. And there was nobody actually after them. But here God actually put terror, fear in their hearts. So they ran away and they could not actually attack the people of God. So when David said, let all nations be judged in your sight, what is the purpose? Not out of hatred, not unhealthy joy in, in, in judgment, but that they may recognize their weakness, may remember that they are mere weak, perishing human, nothing comparing to God. So this was a prayer for God to reach the nations through the display of his judgment. So through God's judgments, through his righteous judgment, people will revere God and they realize they are just human being. And uh, also there is at the end of this psalm the word Silah was repeated as I told before and this Silah an instruction calling for a break in the singing of the psalm or some other scholars say Silah forever. So uh, God put fear in their heart that the nation may know themselves to be but men, make this happen forever. This concludes chapter 9 from the book of Psalms. Uh, Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.